0: Okay, so this episode is pretty exciting because we're going to be talking about the Majestic 12. Now, before I start, let me just say very quickly, what was the Majestic 12? Because it's been a a conspiracy or a proposal that has come up fairly recently, or at least come back into the limelight fairly recently because of the Netflix series, The Umbrella Academy, which also happens to mention the Majestic 12 Um, in the second season. So, the Majestic 12 is a groundbreaking look at the United States UFO program called Majestic and the top secret government documents that tell the story of presidential and military action and cover-up as well as authorization regarding UFOs and their alien occupants. So, Operation Majestic 12 was established by Special Classified Presidential Order on September 24, 1947 at the recommendation of Secretary of Defense James Forrestal and Dr. Vannevar Bush, chairman of the Joint Research and Development Board. Now, the goal of the group was to exploit everything they could from the recovered UFO and alien technology, Now, let me just say one thing very quickly before I go on. There are certain Majestic 12 documents that have been circulating online and what have you, and the FBI supposedly has debunked some of them. However, there are other documents that the FBI has refused to speak on, which is interesting in my eyes, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure why the FBI, of all people, would debunk these documents. I don't know why the CIA wouldn't just get involved directly because they were more prominent in this so called operation at the time. I'm guessing that whether these documents were real or not, the FBI and the rest of the government's doing their best to sort of shut it down and not even perform any kind of psyop. Just say, listen, it's fake, it's bullcrap, and that's it, right? However, like I said, and I'll put the links and the pictures uh, down below there are documents that have not been so-called debunked or or called bogus or whatever. So, buried in a super-secret magic eyes only, magic spelt M-A-J-I-C, classification that was above top secret, long before the modern top secret code word special access programs of today, Major General Leslie R. Groves, who commanded the Manhattan Project, by the way, which was the project that essentially delivered the atomic bomb, kept just one copy of the details of crashed alien technology in his safe in Washington, D.C. And so ambitious elite scientists such as Vannevar Bush, Albert Einstein, and Robert Oppenheimer, as well as other career military people such as Hoyt Vandenberg, Roscoe Hillencoder, Leslie Groves, and George Marshall, along with a select cast of other experts, feverishly and secretively labored to understand the alien agenda technology and their implications so einstein and oppenheimer were called in to give their opinion drafting a six-page paper titled relationships with inhabitants of celestial bodies they provided prophetic insight into our modern nuclear strategies and satellites and expressed agitated urgency that an agreement be reached with the president so that scientists could proceed to study the alien technology right now here's the thing let me just say, to the people who say that it's being made up or thing, things like that, this behavior of Einstein and other scientists, it seems to fall directly in line okay, with the way in which Einstein behaved and operated. And for someone on the internet, just in their parents' basement making this crap up, for someone to articulate the way in which this was done, as well as for other you know, letters, in which I'll put the links down below, Regarding and from and to Einstein and other military generals, letters to the president and to the the current administration at that time, I don't think someone in their parents' basement could have made this up. I'm not saying all of it is true, I'm just saying that it is certainly something to examine. So, the extraordinary recovery of fallen airborne objects in the state of New Mexico between July 4th. In July 6, 1947, caused the Chief of Staff of the Army Air Force's Interplanetary Phenomena Unit, Scientific and Technical Branch, Counterintelligence Directorate, to initiate a thorough investigation. So the special unit was formed in 1942 in response to two crashes in the Los Angeles area in late February 1942. So the draft summary report begins on July third, nineteen 1947, and... Essentially, the way the report was proposed the initial time was that radar stations in East Texas and White Sands Proving Ground tracked two unidentified aircraft until they both dropped off the radar. Again, it's ironic that things like, or experiment sites like White Sands Proving Ground or Los Alamos constantly keep coming up in these proposals, in these documents, in these papers, right? And so, again, I hate to keep saying this, but I feel like I need to really sort of, I guess cram is the word, or put it into people's heads as politely as i can psyop psyop psy psychological warfare okay so the first ever known at least ufo crash retrieval case occurred in 1941 in cape gerardo in missouri and so what this crash did was it kicked off early reverse engineering work but it did not create a unified intelligence effort to exploit possible technological, technological gains apart from the Manhattan Project uses. So, the debris from the primary field of the 1947 crash 20 miles southeast of Socorro, New Mexico, was called ULAT-1, which stood for Unidentified Lenticular Aerodyne Technology. And it excited metallurgists with its unheard of tensile and shear strengths. And so the fusion nuclear called neutronic at the time engine used heavy water and deuterium with an oddly arranged series of coils, magnets and electrodes, descriptions that resemble the cold fusion studies of today if you want to if you care to look into that. Now, Harry Truman kept the technical briefing documents of September 24, 1947 for further study pondering the challenges of creating and funding a secret organization before the CIA existed. Although at the time the Central Intelligence Group or CIG did exist, it was not the CIA, right? And this was before there was really a a sort of legal procedure of funding non-war based operations, right? And so if you notice, there seems to be a very large impact that a lot of these UFOs and other worldly beings and technologies have with the sort of forming and sort of structure in which a lot of these government institutions are formed. They kind of indirectly help shape the way in which institutions like or intelligence agencies like the CIA or the NSA were born, right? And it seems as though that this sort of intertwinement of not just sharing technologies, that's one thing, but retrieving technologies from these crashed UFOs has dramatically helped society both publicly and also in a very private factor as well, right? So, and I just want to point that out because I find it to be very interesting. So in April 1954, a group of senior officers of the U.S. intelligence community and the armed forces gathered for one of the most secret and sensational briefings in history. The subject was UFOs, right? But it wasn't a discussion of the sightings, but it was how to recover crashed ufos where they ship the parts and how to deal with the occupants meaning literally the the aliens inside the uh the craft right so for example in the special operations manual som 101 as they called it extraterrestrial entities technology recovery and disposal majestic 12 red teams mapped out ufo crash retrieval scenarios with special attention given to press blackouts body packaging and live alien transport, as well as deceased alien transport, isolation, and custody. Right? So, the majestic documents, which I find, which I will put in the link below as well, as showcase some of them right over here in my hand, is tell a mind-boggling story of deception, intelligence and counterintelligence, revolutionary alien technology, missing nuclear weapons, and compartmentalized secrecy spanning in time from the first crash disk retrieval in 1941 until three days before President Kennedy's assassination in 1963. Right? So, and the, here's the interesting thing, and I, I'll probably do another episode on this just because there's so much ground to cover on this topic, but UFO related secret programs have consumed a significant part of America's black budget program since. The Manhattan Project, that was really the project that sort of kicked it off, and what I also want to note about the Manhattan Project is that the Manhattan Project was the project that essentially successfully provided the United States with the atomic bomb or the nuke right now here's what's ironic there ever since the nuke was created or at least discovered by humans, there have been a substantially vast amount and increase in UFO sightings, and I think There is a deep connection because these extraterrestrials have been observing us for God knows how many years. But once they realized that humans could create the nuclear atomic bomb, they were very, very, I guess you could say, devoted to helping or at least preventing humans from kind of, I guess you could say, self-destruction, if you will. Right? And the interesting thing is that there are many, many military people who have done nuke tests. And right before they're going to launch a nuke at a testing facility, a UFO literally comes. And I know this is going to sound cartoonish, if you will. But these military men, well-respected ones, have described being, uh, beams being shot at the nukes, the warheads. And then all of a sudden, all of these nuclear warheads being shut down. Now, that doesn't mean all of them were going to be launched. Only one was going to be launched for a test, right? But if they had 10, 20, 30 warheads in one location, and then another 30 or 40 in another location, all of a sudden those warheads, with no implicit connection to one another, physically or materialistically, would suddenly be shut down after these sort of light ray beams, as these military men describe them, were shot at them, right? And so the 1997 government disclosed intelligence budget portion alone was 26 billion right and the total black budget was about 35 billion the year after right and so what i find very interesting and this is back in the the, the mid to late 90s right and right the day before 9/11 if i'm not mistaken donald rumsfeld within the bush administration was talking about how they were going to look into It was something like a couple trillion dollars missing from the Pentagon and the CIA's budget. And they were going to look into it, but obviously 9-11 happened the following day, and so that kind of became the main occupation there. But money just doesn't go missing. Black budget programs are funded by big amounts of money that go into things like the Majestic 12 program. Right? And so... To further on the Majestic 12 topic, the United States UFO program, it grew out of necessity. It first grew out of necessity to determine the alien threat. And secondly, it grew out of necessity to exploit their advanced technologies in any way that we could to gain a a military, economic, or even a sort of psychological advantage. Right? As well as to use these technologies to maintain power, leverage, authority... And control of both governments, technology, and world stability. Right? And so initially, to make the project public would have sent unpredictable unpredictable turmoil into science, religion, politics, and global economics. And putting the Majestic 12 thing aside, just for one second, I just want to say that I have been saying this more and more in my recent episodes. If this type of technology was made public, right, to the point where the government described what technology was used in, in a decent amount of detail. What we would have is we would have the collapse of major industries, such as the oil industry, overnight. I would even dare and go as far as to say that the whole concept of money and finances would sort of be washed away overnight. Right? And I'm not saying that's a reason to hide things from the public, but what I'm saying is that not only economically would be would it be a mess, but there would be a panic. I think there would be less of a panic now than, say, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Because people are, ex- through the media and things like that, which is another form of PSYOP through the, from the CIA, in my opinion, they're starting to accept more and more subconsciously the existence or potential existence of, U- of aliens and all that. But... It would literally make people self-reliant, and so you couldn't, the people would not need to rely on the government or government systems in order to, in order to live, really. And so, regarding the Majestic 12 documents, even the most hardened skeptic, after reviewing the data presented and seeing copies of the original documents, will find it extremely difficult to deny the reality of military and government cover-ups for over 50 years, right? And that's the thing. The government, and I hate to say the government because there's a lot of factions to it, but they understand. People think that they don't, but they understand that you cannot keep a secret forever, particularly in today's day and age. So what do you do? Again, psychological warfare. You put it in plain sight and you ridicule it, right? And I, I apologize that I'm constantly saying that every couple episodes, but I feel that as more people watch and listen, I feel that it's important that we enlighten these people, right? And so it's very intriguing because you have a a list of names in which consisted of the initial Majestic 12 members, right? And I'm not going to, I'll provide the link and, possibly a picture to the names and the, the responsibilities these people had. But there have been people that have linked the Majestic 12 group to all sorts of, let's say, important or significant events, particularly within Western history and possibly around the world without us knowing, right? So, again... support that a ufo did crash near roswell was covered up in 1987 again when english writer timothy good published for the first time alleged official u.s government documents outlining how 12 men working for the u.s government orchestrated the recovery and evaluation of a crash disc that was removed from from roswell new mexico in july 1947 and so A similar release of this so-called briefing document, Operation Majestic 12, occurred several weeks later in the USA by the research team of William L. Moore, Jamie H. Shandera, and Stanton T. Friedman. So, again, according to the documents these these are separate documents now majest mj-12 or the majestic 12 was a group of distinguished scientists military and intelligence officials established by president harry truman to control the recovery of ufos as well as be responsible for studying it covering things up and expanding human knowledge about them right so canadian ufo researcher and nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman was awarded a $16,000 grant by the Fund for UFO Research to answer that question. And he has generated a great deal of information to support the validity of the documents, right? And the question to, this, to Mr. Friedman was, were these documents real, right? And so, unfortunately for Friedman and the rest of the research community, part of the original uh, Majestic 12, they're all dead, so any confirmation must come from secondhand information or locating other supporting documents to prove the case prove this case, right? Now what I also want to mention here is that there was probably no better time for the Majestic Twelve or some type of organization of a dozen or so scientists and highly respected men, military men and all that, to be assembled. Because in that particular time in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even up until the 80s, it was very easy to hide things and cover things up, right? It Once it got to 2000 and on, you could still hide things, but it wasn't as easy, right? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the, the documents here in the, the corner and in the description, and I want you guys to decide for yourselves whether or not the legitimacy is something in which you take serious or you don't, right? And so... Working on the assumption that the Majestic 12 documents are possibly authentic, Canadian UFO researcher Grant Cameron found an anchor in which to conduct his investigation. And so what he decided to do was to pursue people, not documents. And this is very interesting because a lot of people who are doing secretive journalistic research, they tend to look more for documents than for people. Right, but when you when you're in a very tough situation like this, there's only so many released documents of the Majestic Twelve that that would would or could be released, right? And so, since the briefing the briefing document clearly states the project is a top secret research and development intelligence operation, and responsible to report directly to the President of the United States, this uh, Mister Grant Cameron went fishing or hunting for former members of the Research and Development Board who were active during the late 1940s and early 1950s, right? Because he would have presumed someone out there had to have had knowledge or at least some type of grain of knowledge of a project of this type of magnitude, right? And so here's the thing. Through this research, what they found through people who, a couple who are still alive to this very day, was that the names on the list of the Majestic 12, which I'll display, were able to be proven that they did in fact obviously exist. I mean, we have footage of them. It wasn't so, so long ago. But not only that, but this researcher, this Canadian researcher was able to confirm firsthand, that six out of the 12 majestic MJ12 members were in fact belo- uh, did in fact, belong to an organization in which was responsible for recovery, cover-ups and reverse engineering and extrapolation, interpretation and predictions of these alien technologies. And those six people were Dr. Vannevar Bush. Dr. Carl T. Compton, Dr. Lloyd Berkner, Dr. Robert F. Reinhardt, Dr. Eric A. Walker, Dr. and Dr. John von Neumann. Now, you might think, okay, where the hell is Einstein? This particular gentleman could not find evidence that supported the fact that Einstein was involved. However, because Einstein did play a large part in the Manhattan Project, or at least the sort of assembly or contribution to the science behind the Manhattan Project, I wouldn't rule it out. Right, it, it, I would not put it past Einstein to get involved, particularly because he was fearful of a lot of people within the scientific community having very upside-down morals, if you want to call it. So I wouldn't put it past Einstein to want to directly be involved or even sit on this committee of the Majestic 12 in order to sort of keep an eye on things as he saw fit. Right? And so that's the other thing. Bush and Berkner both appeared on the majestic 12 list in 1987 right and so one name that came up that this researcher found interesting was dr eric walker former president of the pennsylvania state university and the fact that walker may be involved originated with american physicist dr robert i sarbacher and so in the 1950s, Sarbacher was serving as a consultant for the military's R&D board and was a member of the guidance and control panel. And so it's very intriguing because if you notice, there's sort of this front and top layer of of men in which sit on committees and they're they're sort of consultants and advisors. And then there's this sort of, not to sound like a, nutty conspiracy theorists but there's this sort of shadowy group or shadowy organization in which appears underneath right so you have your clean front end and the knee of the back end right just like with a lot of things in life but i find that this constant reoccurring even in today's day and age of military and scientific consultants they're always a little more than just consultants and if they're just simply consultants they're always asked upon to recruit people that they know or they know to be the best in their field for things that they're never really told about to begin with right and so the other interesting thing is that in a letter to a close friend dated november 23rd 1983 sarbacher confirmed he was invited to participate and this is now quoting verbatim word for word he was invited to participate in several discussions associated with the reported recoveries of ufos but that he was unable to attend the meetings, end quote. Now, Sarbacher stated that the U.S. laboratories analyzed that material that reportedly came from these flying saucer crashes and that the hardware was, quote, extremely light yet very tough, end quote, which is something I'd honestly expect from advanced beings, right? And so Sarbacher described the beings that controlled the flying saucers to his friend. He states... And this is a whole quote from Mr. Sarbacher now. There were reports that instruments or people operating these machines were also a very light weight, sufficient to withstand the tremendous deceleration and acceleration associated with their machinery. And let me just say very quickly, this adds to the point or the the proposal that the gray aliens in which were the ones that they recovered supposedly from the Roswell crash and most crashes are in fact Artificial intelligences or beings, sort of like how we send a a rover to Mars. These advanced beings send their own biological version or very advanced AIs to different parts of the universe to explore. Anyways, I remember in talking with some of the people at the office that I got the impression that these aliens were constructed like certain insects we have observed on Earth wherein because of the mass of the inertial forces involved in operation of these instruments would be quite low, end quote, right? And so it kind of makes sense when you see that, when it's been speculated that these gray aliens sort of, they're short but they have lanky arms and then there's others that have been known to look like praying mantises. I'm not saying they're all AI or artificial intelligence. I'm just saying the proposal is certainly something I would not rule out, at least some of them being some type of biological artificial intelligence, Right? So, during a telephone interview between researcher Stanton Friedman and Robert Sarbacher, the interviewer um, asked Sarbacher if he could recall anyone who attended these meetings, because Sarbacher could not make it to the initial ones, but he made it to the ones uh, later on. Although he couldn't recall his name, he named enough clues to Friedman that when William Steinman reviewed the conversation, all the evidence led to Dr. Eric A. Walker. Now, in the early 1950s, Walker was serving as Executive Secretary of the Research and Development Board and would have been a logical candidate to be asked to attend UFO retrieval meetings if they were held. And now, in a letter to Grant Cameron... Steinman said that when he made the discovery, he telephoned Sarbacher and asked him if Dr. Eric Walker was the individual he was trying to remember. Now, Sarbacher's response, according to Steinman, was Walker was the man who attended all those meetings at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Okay, let me break this down because there's a lot of names there. First off, let me say these were all men who have been said to be part of the original Majestic 12 team. Okay, not only that, but the the significance of the mentioning of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is extremely important because of the fact that this, and I did an episode on this, this is supposedly the same Air Force Base in which President Eisenhower met with alien beings, right, when he was secretly snuck out in the middle of the night, and notice how all of these documents sort of come full circle, and I, I really want to stress this because the Here's the thing, before I finish this episode off, these documents seem to be so distorted over the many years of these alleged witnesses of things and these so-called secretive operations and top-secret projects until everything comes full circle. And then you realize, as you put the timeline together, a lot of these things are major events in which happened over the course of X amount of years that all tend to add up. It's not like there's, the, there's potential proof of aliens and, and, and UFOs and all that, but you can't prove it or the timeline is distorted. No. If you guys watch my previous episodes, what you'll find is that the timeline adds up. Right? So, if the evidence we have gathered is true, we now have identified a scientist who was in a position to confirm or deny the U.S. government's crash-retrieval Majestic 12 program. And so Steinman states he telephoned Walker on August thirtieth, 1987. And according to Steinman's word-for-word telephone transcript of the interview, Dr. Eric A. Walker confirmed attending these meetings at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base regarding the, quote, military recovery of flying saucers and the bodies of the occupants, end quote. And so according to Steinman, Walker acknowledged that he knew of mj12 and was familiar with them since 1947 in the interview walker tells steinman to quote leave it alone and that he is quote delving into an area that you know absolutely nothing about end quote and steinman responds that the people have the right to know the truth and that he is not going to drop it right and so Steinman has been investigating Walker since 1984 and received several letters from Walker, one of which discusses a downed saucer, right? And so Crane and Cameron teamed up in the fall of 1987 to learn as much as they could about Walker's involvement before releasing his name to the public. Now, although Dr. Walker's being less responsive these days regarding inquiries into his past involvement with UFOs, Cameron and and the other gentleman believe they would have gathered enough they believe they've gathered enough background material on Dr. Walker to show he was in the right place and at the right time to know if the U.S. has a crashed UFO in military custody. More than one, by the way, as as I'm sure we know nowadays, right? And so there is a book called UFOs, MJ-12 and the Government, and hopefully... It will be released very shortly. But let me know what you guys think. I might do another episode on this just because of how intriguing and exciting it is. And um, let me know what you guys think. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you.